Okay, let's get started. I've got uh, just a, a couple of uh, quick housekeeping things uh, as we start off tonight. And I've, I've just did a check to make sure I know what my time cues are. So if, I'm, if I was told an error, we'll, we'll, we'll miss that. So everyone remembers your Jesus is better log in your book, right? Yes. So those of you who got your book. Okay, so we were ending up last time, and Mitch made an excellent point that I'm afraid everybody might not have picked up on. And that is, when you write that Jesus is better log, you don't have to just find verses that say, Jesus is better than angels. Because we found one last week, right? You can also find verses that point out Jesus' attributes that are clearly better. And so, you know, one of the things that, uh, that Mitch pointed out is that list of seven attributes of Jesus. Jesus is better because He purged my sins. Jesus is better because He sat down on the right hand of God in majesty on high. So, the point of this is to get the point of the Hebrew writers. He's making his point over and over again in lots and lots of different ways of why Jesus is better than any alternative. And so, just want to make sure you're thinking broadly as you keep that log, because you're really keeping that for you. And you're for that. So Mitch made just an excellent point that uh, I wanted to make sure that we, uh, we grabbed. You all remember our introduction class exercise. And I just would tell, I was reading through this exercise, thinking about tonight, and I went, you know, we missed a really important thing. We kind of hit around it, and so I went ahead and just put it on my sheet in this bottom point here. Sometimes we get drawn away from full commitment to Jesus because we fail to recognize Jesus is better than whatever alternative is put in front of us at any one time. Satan the world, other people get things in front of us and we sometimes fall for that and we don't go back and go, hold on, I'm serving the majesty on high. I'm serving the one who's the image of God, the brightness of God. This is not a temptation to me. But we don't do that. The Hebrews weren't doing that. And so, just for, for what it's worth, um, that's one of the whole points of studying Hebrews, to get ingrained in our mind. There's nothing that anyone could put in front of us that's better than Jesus. If we can remember that, we can make it through whatever else we have to go through. And then, uh, just reminded you, and I actually gave out a, a sheet that has this on here in case you didn't, weren't able to take all those notes last week. That's the, kind of the first slide on the sheet. These were the seven things that were talked about in the first three verses last week that made Jesus so special. And we talked about all these uh, in detail. We used up most of the class doing that. And so just wanted you to kind of have that and, and remember those seven traits because they're going to come back up before the end of the lesson tonight uh, as, as we do that. But just think about how the Hebrew writer starts out right, at, right up front saying, Jesus spoke to us, God spoke to us through Jesus, His Son, and this is all the qualities of His Son that I'm going to talk to you about. First three verses of Hebrews. One of the best, if you get down, one of the best places to go to remind yourself of that. And then we ended up last week with, oops, I'm going too far, Jesus is better than the angels. And before we start talking about that and jump into tonight's lesson, let's, let's stop for a second and have a quick break. <clears throat> Father in heaven, I, I thank you for this evening that you have given us and for all the classes assembled here, Father, that we were able to open your word and study in the middle of a busy week. Help us, Father, to put all those things aside. And learn the lessons that you would have us to learn about Jesus and why he is the ultimate center of our life and why we should gladly follow him because of that. 
ask for your blessings on me as I teach and on the classes we work together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We ended up last week kind of in a rush, but this is really the kickoff point for tonight's lesson. Jesus is better than the angels. Now, you've had your lesson materials a few weeks, and there's a question on the lesson materials about this. Why would this be an important point for the Hebrew writer make, to make to a bunch of Jewish people who got this letter? What about angels? Why would that be an important point to them? Because we're going to spend the rest of the night tonight talking about Jesus' better name. They because the law came through the angels. The law came through the angels, and they believed that. In fact, they believed a lot of things about the angels that were a lot were true, and they actually added some things to it. And we'll kind of touch on that as we go through here, but that's absolutely true. In fact, you remember the sermon Jesus that Stephen preached about Jesus? just before they stoned him to death, the very last thing he said in the sermon before they stoned him to death was, to those Jews that were assembled there uh, in Acts 7, verse 53, which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become betrayers and murderers, who have received by the law by direction of angels and have not kept it. I was in this very accusation. said, you got the law at the direction of angels and you didn't keep it. In fact, you, you murdered all the prophets. Paul makes this same point in Galatians 3.19. What purpose does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions. We've heard that verse before. Till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. The last part of that verse said, and it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Mediator. He's talking about his Moses. There's a point through angels. So why would it be an important point to start off that angels are a topic that he's going to use to talk about Jesus being better? Because angels were held in high esteem. And so the, the Hebrew author is actually going to make a comparison of Jesus to the angels in order to show them that what you hold in high esteem, even the law which was delivered by angels, Jesus is better than that. So let's, uh, let's jump in and... Uh, Talk about that. Hebrews, the first chapter, I'm going to read 5 to the end of the, of the chapter here. <clears throat> to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have forgotten you. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, And let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angel spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. But to the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is, your, is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and you have hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, even your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will grow old like a garment, and like a cloak you will fold them up. And they will be changed, and you are the same, and your years will not fail. But to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits, sent forth to minister for those who inherit salvation. 
Who thought that was an easy passage just to work through? Okay. Or we try to break it down, at least I'll give you some, some, some helps that I, that I learned in doing that, is to, to think about what exactly is the Hebrew writer saying here, because he is mostly quoting on the Psalms, this entire <coughs> But he's making a point, and we're going to talk about that point as he does that. One of the, uh, and I'm just going to go ahead and put all this on the board, we're not going to go through them one by one, I actually gave you a copy of this, so if you, can, if you want to make some notes and come back and think about it, but um, particularly, this chart tells you the statement that he made and the psalm that it refers to, and occasionally another helping, uh, a helping verse uh, along with that. I want to start out by making this point. When he, when he started this off and said, to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son, today have I begotten you? What's the answer to that question? No, none. none of them, right? Do you know what, what he's making an argument based on right there? Just, just, this is just for your own Bible study sometime. There's no record of God ever making that statement to the angel. Therefore, this author says, God never made this statement to the angel. What does that argue for? That the silence of the Scriptures has authority. When the Scriptures are silent about something, we can take it to the bank that there's authority in that. And... This entire chapter is based upon, and it'll actually end with that same statement if you remember the repeated phrases part, but verse 13, he says again, to which of the angels did he say, sit at my right hand. This chapter is based upon God never did these things with angels, but he did do all of these things with his son. And that's really the comparison that's been drawn all the way through the chapter. So if you get, if you get confused about it, and it's easy to get confused about it, Come back to that, because that's the parallel. God gave angels a different kind of role than He gave Jesus. And the role that He gave Jesus, the role that Jesus had from the beginning, was a much, much greater role than the angels. And therefore, by argument, since the angels delivered the law, you're going to think about He's going to make that same application to the law, which will come in a later chapter of Hebrews. So let's talk about a few of these just to, to kind of see how this works. Um, but somebody look up Acts. Uh, Dennis, can you look up Acts 13:33? Uh, and while you're looking that up, I'm going to read Psalm 2:7. This first statement refers, um, I believe, back to Psalm 2:7, where the psalmist said, "I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you.' The exact word-for-word translation of exactly what the Hebrew writer says here. So, Acts 13 uh, and uh, beginning in verse 33, Dennis. Just 33. Until um, you get to that same phrase. It may be 33 and 34 when I wrote my okay. answer. That God has fulfilled this promise to our children and that He raised up Jesus as it is also written in the second Psalms, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Okay? So, so think about that. We're, Paul was at that point in Acts 13 was preaching, preaching the gospel to non-Christian Jews in Antioch of Pisidia. And what's the point he made there? This Jesus is who God, this is who was being talked about in Psalm 2 verse 7. It's exactly the point that he made there. And so that's what the point is here that the Hebrew writer is making as well. That God's Son was the one who was begotten 
Angels never heard that. That was not a role that was given to angels. And so, in, in, uh, in fact, if we go to the second verse, uh, excuse me, the second uh, phrase that's here, uh, which begins in, uh, in verse 6, let me have someone turn to 2 Samuel verses 7, uh, chapter 7, verses 12 through 14. Tom, thank you. And start off reading that, and then we'll come back and read, uh, read uh, another quick verse here. Tom? When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you, who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and the blows of the sons of men. Okay, thank you very much. So think about that phrase. Nathan told David, when David asked to build the temple, he said, no, you're not going to build a temple, but your son, your heir, will be established on this throne. And that's exactly the phrase he used, that I will be his father and he shall be my son. Now, Luke, the first chapter, verse 32 and 33. Gabriel, the angel, is talking to Mary. Here's what Gabriel says. He will be great. He will be called Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob. In his kingdom, there will be no end. Same words. He will reign over the house of his father David. David was told, your son will be my son and I will establish his kingdom forever. These two verses that are pointing at each other, and we know as Christians are all pointing at Jesus. What is Jesus? We're building a picture here of Jesus here. What is Jesus that, that the Hebrew writer is trying to get them to understand that's different than angels? He is the son of... Son of God, but he's, he's the son of David. His throne will be forever. What word did the Jews have for that? The one who would be an heir of David, whose throne would be established, and he would reign forever. The Messiah. These are all messianic prophecies here that the Hebrew writers pointed back to. And he's using messianic prophecies. And he's talking about the difference in an angel and the Messiah. And so now he's going to, in verse 6, introduce something about angels. We're, we're going through a comparison. Here's Jesus, here's the angels. He's making the claim, you serve Jesus who's the Messiah. Let me talk about the angels. Verse 6 um, is, uh, is one that says, Let all the angels of God worship Him. Now that is likely a reference to Psalm 97.7. Which, if you happen to read commentaries, you'll find is a very difficult psalm to interpret because some, some of your interpretations may say on that psalm, let the other gods serve him. That word may mean God. It may mean um, heavenly being. It may mean angels. So the point here is this group of people that were heavenly beings that was being talked about in Psalm 97.7 were they being talked about as people who sat on a throne? What were they? What were they? They were worshipers. They were worshiping someone. 
Who makes his angels winds and his ministers as flame of fire? In verse 7, we just, we just read. Psalms 104.4 is where that, that comes from, and that's exactly the phrase that he makes there. So what are angels in, in this psalm? Are they messianic? They're what? Ministers. They, they, they have, the, he makes his angels wins. So they go back and forth, in other words, is what the psalmist is saying. They're ministering uh, servants. And so now we've gotten all the way down through verse 7, a full contrast where the Hebrew writer says, Jesus is the one being talked about in the Messianic prophecies that, that would sit on that throne. This is the Jesus you need to stay with. He is, of course, better than angels because angels are servants. They're ministers. They serve God. They're not sitting on thrones. They're not rulers. And so that's really the contrast that's been, that's been drawn in this, uh, in, in really that in the entire part of that chapter. So everybody's quiet. I'm gonna, let's, let's stop a minute. Let's ask questions. And are you with me or are you not with me? Have I made this too complicated or not too complicated? I'm sorry. <laughs> no. no. So. I just want to understand. Are you saying that all of these are messianic prophecies or just the ones about Jesus are messianic prophecies? Okay. Um, and we'll, we'll, we'll see a couple of things in a second. We'll talk about the, some of the other ones, but no, about angels are not messianic prophecies necessarily. Okay. But they're all from the, the words of the same prophets. Okay. Okay. Well, let's let's think about your throne, O Lord, is forever. And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth. What, what two things is, are being ascribed to Jesus that we, we talked about last week there? Creator. You laid the foundation of the earth. And remember what that phrase in the last part of that verse? You will fold up the worlds like a cloak. A cloak. What does, that, what does that imply? I mean, we don't wear many coats here in Phoenix. <laughs> if you get somewhere with a coat on and you fold it up, when do you do that? When you get hot, right, or when you get in, you fold it up and you put it aside. Have you ever thought about <clears throat> this whole world, this whole universe exists until Jesus decides to fold it up and put it aside? That's what that image is being, is being drawn there. He was the creator. He created everything. He is the creator. He did create everything. And as that list that we put up last week said, he's also the sustainer. And so the universe is here as long as he deems it will be here is what this is saying. And so if we, if we have Jesus who has that kind of power, we're going to end up by asking ourselves the last question. To which of the angels... Did that kind of power ever be given to? And what is, how does he end the, end the chapter here? Which of the angels did he ever say, sit at my right hand and make your name as my footstool? And the answer to that question is none of them. Kind of reminds you of the questions to go. That's kind of yeah. It did. And I don't know whether they were answering these questions, but he was asking these questions for them. You know, that in case you're thinking that the law delivered by angels were better, which of the angels did he ever say this? And that's that's really the sense of which when, when I read through this that I really get from this whole piece here. 
that this contrast between the role of angels and the majesty of Jesus, he's drawing it, but he's drawing it with a very important set of verses. Verses they all recognize as messianic. We're going to talk about that last one in just a second. Mitch? I mean, we, we see this. They didn't have the book of Revelation then, but in Revelation 22, John was so afraid that he fell to worship the angels. Angel there. And the angel said, you need to get up. You worship, you worship God. In other words, there, there's a big difference between angels and God. And it's, it, it, isn't it interesting that this writer is already, the Hebrews has already, has already pointed out, angels were worshipers of God. And this point he's making that's building here to this last verse is a, is a direct quotation of Hebrew, excuse me, of Psalm 110, verse 1. Now, any, any, uh, any Bible trivia uh, people here in the room, Psalm 110, verse 1, what's the, what's the trivial pursuit question about that if you've ever played it? Psalm 110, verse 1 is the most quoted Old Testament passage in the New Testament. Okay? Why might that be? Just Psalms 110, verse 1 says what exactly what Hebrews 13, verse uh, 1, verse 13 says. Sit in my right hand until I make your enemies my footstool. Remember other places where that phrase was used? Give you a hint. First big sermon after Jesus' resurrection. It was it was it was used there. If you go back and you look at the chain of references in your Bible, you'll see over and over again, whenever you find a Bible author or preacher talking to Jews, they get around to this verse. And there's a good reason for that. This verse was 100% agreed upon by all Jews that this was talking about the Messiah. But this was a definitive messianic prophecy. And the rest of that chapter is messianic prophecy. And this is exactly what they believe was going to be said to some human who would claim some human throne that God was going to set up. That's what they believed about it. And of course, Jesus didn't fill that model. We know all of that. But was it talking about a human? Yes. But the forever part was talking about the divine part of Jesus. That other part of Jesus we talked about last week that, that give you all the qualities of who he is. That's who that was, that was talking about. And again, the writer says, to which of the angels did he say, go sit on that throne? None of them. And so, you and I are meant to conclude by reading this that, wow, I may not know what Jesus is yet, but this writer's claiming he's a whole lot better than the angels of the things that he's, that he's saying. Thoughts, questions? Well, I should say, so it's not like he just says he's better give us reason after reason after reason after reason after reason to help their understanding however they were thinking of it, like cover all the bases it he, he does tend to drive his point home because the last chapter, verse of this chapter, and I realize they didn't have chapters back then, but the last thing he says on this subject is about angels, are they not ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who inherit salvation? They're ministers. Of course he's better than them. Anybody's a minister is, is below the king. So Tony? Well, I mean, even in the Bible it says, should anybody preach any of the gospel, including an angel from heaven? Absolutely. So the only one that can come down and tell us something different would be Jesus himself. 
that's that's the implication of that. But that's it. I think it's a great point that you pull up there that Angel still held that role with them, and Paul said it doesn't matter if an angel showed up this time. If he says something different than the revelation, ignore it. That's not right. So Scott? I think that it can still this can still mean a lot to people today because a lot of people still are rather um, uh, not necessarily obsessed, but very like oh an angel type of type of type of deal. So it's it's not that far attached. I mean, it kind of goes back to Ecclesiastes. There's nothing new under the sun. There's yeah. most likely a bit of thought. This hard been thought type of type of attitude. It's people uh, have the same like you know they're going down the same path. Uh, last night we walked out of Lowe's and Judy, she heard somebody walk out uh, in front of her and go, oh, look at, look at the sky with the clouds and stuff. Oh, look, there's an angel. It's like, yeah, it's not. But anyway, <laughs> exactly right. People are successful on that. Okay, we're not going to go through this. This is a really, um, just a kind of a cool point. I gave you a copy of this. You remember the list of things in Hebrews 1, verses 2 and 3 about Jesus' characteristics, right? Interestingly, as the Hebrew writer makes all these points about Jesus being better of angels, he nails every one of these points in one of the Psalms that he quotes. And each one of these things is the brightness of God's glory, he's the image of God, the Creator holds things together by His word of His power. All those things he references. So not only did he give us that long list, and not only did he make a seven or eight point argument about why Jesus is better than angels, that list goes back to the first list. And he made this same point about Jesus' qualities, except he used Messianic prophecies to do all of that. I thought that was pretty interesting. So you've got that little chart if you want to look at that and think about that for yourself. But it, um, is that by coincidence? I don't think so. We don't find any coincidences in the Bible. But there's a design here, and that's a very much deeper level design. I never would have seen that, but someone I was reading actually pointed that out, and it was like, that's a really interesting fact. Mitch, you're going to say something? I'm just going to say that, to go back to maybe a previous point you made, which I thought was really a good point, in that he said, to which of the angels did I ever, did God ever say? And the implication is, he didn't say that, therefore, there's no authority for that. When you get over to chapter 7, we talk about Melchizedek, he says, um, our Lord arose from the tribe of Judah, of which Moses spoke nothing. And that's the big divider in the religious world, frankly. In fact, I think it's the divider. It is. Is that most people, religious people, will say if the Bible does not say uh, something, either positive or negative or positive, or whatever, that gives us the liberty to, to do what we choose. Right. The Bible is just the opposite of that. And that's what separates the church from some of the other. Is that God didn't have to say. I want uh, uh, the priest, they can't come from Issachar and they can't come from and list all the 12 tribes. He just said it comes from Levi. By definition, leaves everything else out because he didn't specify. Right. Most people say if it's, if it, God didn't say not to do that or to do this, so we have the liberty to do it. You really don't have the liberty to do it. Whatever God's actually said to do, what we need to do, right? And the other, and the other things we have to leave undone, and then to make that happen. And so that, 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 that excellent, excellent point. I'm, pull, I'm pulling this up here because, um, well, I thought this was the way the boards were laid out differently. This is class participation time. I ask you to pay particular attention, and we're going to do this for the last part of the class here, to that last question in your lesson one sheets. If you work, didn't have those last week, give me a pass this week. 
we've spent two whole lesson periods talking about the magnificent qualities of Jesus that the Hebrew writer introduces us to and reminds us of, and of how those are so much greater than another heavenly being that we would all long to see, the angels. And, you know, we know they have an important role. Jesus is so much better than that. So just to do a little thinking and meditating about how does that... We know how the Hebrew writer wanted to impact them. They were, they were thinking of giving up Jesus. They, they were tired of the persecutions and the differences they had with their Jewish friends, and so they were thinking of going backwards about We We have different things we're facing than that. But does this point of Jesus is better and Jesus is the glory of God and the image of God, do those have an effect on our lives today? So what's what are some of the applications that that we can make, that you think about, that could be made for yourself, or just uh, ideas that you had in doing that. So let me let me stop here, stop talking, leave you some air. Give us a thought to get this started. I'll start one, please. Uh, I find when my when my face grows weak at times, um, I, 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 when you dig down to the roots, my appreciation for Jesus is. It's not what it ought to be. And once you start digging deeper and what all he's done for you, you appreciate him more and your faith grows as a result of that. I don't know if anybody else faces that or not, but sometimes it affected me. I'll, I'll, I'll confess to that one too. I mean, think about that. What's that point here? It's the point of what, what exactly are you pursuing this better than Jesus, right? It was that last one you just added on that sheet. Yeah. It's, <laughs> well, a, it's, it's the same kind of thing, that's right. Yeah. Boy, that gets me all the time. Yeah. I would say to that same effect, but maybe a little bit opposite when we're really confident in our faith. It could be easy to be like, well, maybe I'll skip out on a Bible study, or maybe I'll do that a little bit later, but really just going back to, well, Spending time, you know, in God's Word, learning about Jesus is better than that TV show, or better than X, Y, and Z. You know, it's true of me. Whenever I'm teaching, I watch the least TV and have the least other distractions of anything so else that's true. out there. Why is that? Right? You got to prepare for class, I guess. I mean, it's, you think of it, it's like, wow, you know. When I feel like I've got everything under control, I can just come do what I want to do. Well, I've never really had everything under control. I just feel like that, right? And all of a sudden you realize that. It's like, man, look at all this stuff I never knew before. And I've been studying the Bible for 50 plus years. You know? On that point, um, I actually read, and um, y'all might know Brian Goodwin. Heard <laughs> <laughs> of that guy. Uh, he posted. I must not make pleasure an idol, for its revenge upon me is to be less pleasant each time I call upon it. So, just like you're saying, when we're watching TV or indulging in other things, it's less and less pleasurable, and we try to seek out more pleasure each time. But when we're diving in God's Word, it's just like, you know, Jesus is, is quenching that thirst, and you want more and more. Excellent point. Excellent. Passion? So it kind of piggybacks off of both of those, but a little bit I think more to mention is, is when our faith is weak, it's sometimes, maybe if we're kind of overindulging too, but it's sometimes easier to justify giving into temptation than to understand that whether it's big or small, Jesus and the hope we have 
of heaven with him is better than kind of giving into that instant gratification or those temptations. But often when our faith is weaker, it's easy to overlook the little things that can eventually lead us to, to bigger things. Well, you just, uh, I think that's going to be Hebrews 11 and 12, right there, in a nutshell, right? Because it's like when, when I get weak and I get tired and everything else, it's like that's the time we got to remember just how great Jesus is. And when we put it out of our mind, guess what? It's just easy to take that one more step right out, right out the door. Okay? Perfect point, excellent point. Joe? I'm a fairly practical person and just. Maybe it's the profession or a parent or whatever stage of life I'm in. But uh, I like to have just those real quick phrases that are course correctors. Like uh, whenever temptation comes or, you know, it's like, is this closer to God? Is this farther from God? Like have some kind of language. And to me, this is, is like fill in the blank. Jesus is better than blank. And so just having that uh, that thing that you can say, that's just kind of how I work. Um, like the, the language, the verbiage to catch myself whenever I'm feeling wavery or weak or whatever the words might be. Again, this is all super connected. But that's the practical part of that. And we know we can put everything in this. Right. But I'm not tempted by everything. Right. There's three or four things that really get at me. Right? Jesus is better than those. Whatever those are for you and me individually, right? And the, name it. And, and it's like, Jesus is better than going and doing this or this or this or this. Or, oh, Jan, yeah. Um, so my challenge for myself is always to connect everything to Jesus. And I read something once that, and then that if I can connect everything in my life to Jesus, every situation I'm in, everything I say, is to work on this. <laughs> But somebody wrote, all of my reactions to the circumstances of life and to other people are either a confession or a denial of Jesus as the Lord of my life. Wow, that's a good one. So all my actions... Reactions. <laughs> reactions. Actions to reactions. Yes. Are either a confession... Jesus. I mean, that's that's really the, the centerpiece of the, the, the whole point of what this whole book is about. So it's the right jumping off point to think about this. So Tony and Austin. Yeah. Um, for me, you know, it's whenever something goes wrong in my life, you know, like. Then I kind of ask, well, why, you know, whether it's job loss, uh, expensive house, or car repair, just anything that goes wrong in my life, you know, why, why would Jesus allow me to go through that? Yeah, and so, and so sometimes we have, we, we have to remember that Jesus didn't didn't set aside all the things that we have to live in our life. He just gave us the way to, to endure them, right? To, to do that. So, so really, Jesus can help us endure setbacks. Maybe another way I would say what I, what I think you were saying. Great. Austin? Awesome. This is kind of a generic statement, but I, I just 
the way this argument played out so logically just appeals to me. So it, he appealed, there was an anchor point that he grabbed onto, a, a reference point that they had. <coughs> Angels are good, so I'm going to tee off that, kind of like Acts 17. Oh, unknown God? Great. Let me, let's, let's start from here. Here's an anchor point. You know, so it just challenges me to like, you know, just during a regular Sunday lesson or whatever, and Sean does a good job of this, I make my advocate, but find that anchor point. There's going to be some one somewhere in there for you. Um, and just kind of go with that. Try to see yourself in in the passage. I'm also I'm going to add something to that. This is an ad just for me. To teach somebody else, we're almost always need an anchor point. We need their anchor point, not ours, right? And that's that's really the jumping off point. Of how do we start where they are and, and make that happen? And I think this writer knew that, right? Boom, he jumps off to, to do that. I have one that I just I've added to the list here. We can say the other two as we're breaking up in class and we'll all try to capture them and, and get them down. I need to meditate more about Jesus and what I read about. I need all this. I need to just sit quiet time thinking about just how great it is. Certainly. Part of the reason I don't think about that is I just let stuff distract me. Get in my way. Get my mind off on other things. And the world is built to do that. We don't need distracted from Jesus, and that's that's the key point. Now let's see. I, I saw two more. The, the Scott and then. Uh... I agree with you. There's no chapter breaks, so I'm gonna um, put the reason for all this was because we he says we must pay closer attention, lest we drift away. And that's Mitch's lesson starting on Sunday. So I won't <laughs> let you go any farther than that. So that's uh, exactly. Isn't that amazing how this chapter ends up? And the conclusion is. <laughs> We're not doing this good enough, people. Pay attention right. because the, 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 the memory work for, less, for, for lesson two is to remember, don't drift away. Don't drift away in Hebrews chapter two. Thanks so much. Great lesson. Enduring both me and participating in the class. Appreciate uh, both those things. Thank and, you, Greg. Uh, we'll see you uh, on Sunday morning. And make sure we look at it. Yes.